This podcast is hosted by Dr. Happymon Jacob. Dr. Jacob is an associate professor of security studies at Jawaharlal Nehru University, New Delhi. His weekly column on India's national security and foreign policy issues is published by The Hindu. He is also the author of two new books on India-Pakistan border, Line on Fire by Oxford University Press and Line of Control by Penguin India. Hello and welcome to the National Security Conversation. Today we will be discussing the political aftermath of the Pulwama terror attacks in which 40 of our CRPF Javans were killed on the 14th of this month. Uh, what has been the response of the BJP-led central government to this terror attack? Um, have they been thoughtful and successful in their uh, response to this? Uh, has the Congress party been politicizing the terror attack in uh, Jammu and Kashmir? Or have they been playing the role of a constructive opposition? Uh, and what happens now? What next? To discuss this and more, I have with me in the studio Mr. Manish Tiwari. Mr. Manish Tiwari is a former union minister and a spokesperson of the Congress party. Welcome to the National Security Conversation, Mr. Tiwari. Thank you, Happy. It's always a pleasure to uh, have this conversation with you. It's one of the more or the most thoughtful conversations on national security these days. How do you evaluate Modi government's response to the Pulwama terror attack? Has that been, has the response been responsible, substantive, or would you say that the response has been knee-jerk? A lot of things have happened. Diplomatic pressure, they've stopped the flow of, the, they are deciding to stop the flow of uh, the Indus waters to Pakistan, at least the in, in Indian share of it. So how do you sort of evaluate the response as a whole? Uh, we need to step back and uh, really rewind to the chronology of uh, the attack in Pulwama and what happened after that. So the attack in Pulwama takes place at 3.10 p.m. in the afternoon. Uh, the Prime Minister at that particular point in time uh, is in uh, Jim Corbett. Uh, he ostensibly had a pre-scheduled uh, shoot with the Discovery News Channel. He was apparently wanting to promote uh, tourism uh, in Uttarakhand. And so therefore, uh, the Prime Minister was uh, in Jim Corbett. And uh, after that, he was supposed to address a public rally. Now, at 5.10 p.m. in the afternoon, the Prime Minister addresses the rally over his mobile phone. There is no reference to the Pulwama attack at all. If you see the visuals and uh, the Prasar Bharti, the Urdarshan visuals, so you have the Prime Minister speaking on his mobile phone, addressing this rally. There is a ticker which is running, which uh, says 10 Jawans martyred in Pulwama. The time is 5.10 p.m. in the afternoon. It says live and the Prime Minister makes no reference uh, to the Pulwama attack. He neither condemns the attack nor condoles the death of people who have died, nor asks the assembled audience to stand in two minutes silence uh, as a mark of respect for those who have been martyred. Now, this raises two fundamental questions. And the two fundamental questions are that if the Prime Minister was aware, then the, the Prime Minister... says it, the, the news arrived very late. Well, if the Prime Minister was aware, then he displayed marked insensitivity by not condemning the uh, terror attack in the first opportunity that he got and the opportunity was that there was a public meeting lined up for him. Uh, 
and he chose for whatever reasons best known to him uh, not to refer to the uh, to the to the attack uh, the least that uh, the country would have expected is that the prime minister of india condemns the attack says that you know let's stand in silence for 2 minutes let's pay our respects to those who have been martyred and i'll come back to you at a later point in time to talk about where is things that we need to talk about and ended the conversation the second scenario is even more dangerous that the prime minister for 2 hours between 3:10 pm in the afternoon and 5:10 pm in the afternoon was unaware that a terror attack had taken place in pulwama and if that is so it points to a breakdown of command and control uh, structures in the prime minister's office and since this is a national security conversation and not the uh, usual uh, press uh, stuff that we do with great responsibility i would like to point out that we are a nuclear state Indeed. we india is a nuclear state and robust command and control uh, systems uh, between the prime minister who is also the chairperson of the nuclear command authority and his instrumentalities is the most critical thing that possibly uh, needs to be in place so therefore uh, since you asked about the response i think the prime minister needs to stand up and tell the country that when did he first get information that there's been an attack in pulwama and the second thing is that why did he then or what did he do in those two hours between his first public remarks and the attack but but bjp is saying that the congress party is politicizing the pulwama terror attack but is asking political questions during times such as this is that an irresponsible act or a responsible act according to you well uh, the bjp is an exquisite combination of uh, jingoistic arrogance uh, coupled with strategic ignorance and this has been on display uh, over the past five years repeatedly you know whenever india unfortunately is confronted with a crisis they need to understand one thing that standing in solidarity with the nation uh, in a moment of tragedy and asking the hard questions are not mutually exclusive in fact asking the hard questions strengthens national security it does not weaken national security and therefore this jingoistic attempt uh, to label everybody who asks those hard questions as being sympathizers of pakistan and to try and sweep it under the carpet i think is the greatest disservice which the nda bjp government performs and you would be failing in your duty if you did not ask those hard Absolutely. questions see as a forget as a responsible opposition i think an ordinary citizen in india also uh has the right to ask those hard questions was there an intelligence failure that's my next question yeah. was there an was, was there an intelligence failure how come so much of rdx was accumulated and this boy local boy was on the radar of the intelligence agency so therefore uh, this person uh, was under uh, uh was was arrested by the indian security forces in 2017 and so obviously he was under 
uh, as you said, he was he was on the radar of the Indian security forces uh, for how did a vehicle uh, enter a, a sanitized zone? Because if I understand it correctly, the attack happened in Avantipura, and Avantipura is very close to Srinagar, and it is. Uh, is, is a heavily patrolled uh, area. So, therefore, those hard questions need to be asked of this government. But unfortunately, in the past five years, they have deliberately created an atmosphere. If you question the uh, BJP, you are anti-national. Uh, if you question the uh, government, you are seditious. And if you ask hard questions of the establishment, then you are downright treacherous. That is, the, that is the narrative which has been created in order to try and gloss over uh, their uh, security failures by, by saying that anybody who asks a question is an agent of Pakistan. I mean, who's given them monopoly over, uh, over nationalism? This is the worst kind of jingoism which a government can display and they great, do great disservice to this country by displaying this jingoism. But, but as, as a spokesperson of the Congress party and, and, and a strategic thinker yourself, how do you evaluate the or how do you assess the responses of the central government so far to the attack? I mean, diplomatic, military or, or other, other responses so far? Do you think they have been substantive or they are just basically knee-jerk reactions? You know, for to answer that question at some length, you have to rewind back to 1971. 1971, when uh, we created or when Bangladesh came into existence, was India's finest hour. And it was Pakistan's darkest hour. So Pakistan lost half its country. 91,000 of its soldiers and officers became India's uh, Indian prisoners of war. And that's a humiliation. The Pakistani military has not been able to live down. Subsequently, the response which was formulated, Pakistan acquiring nuclear weapons, we'll eat grass but we'll get nuclear weapons, and to bleed India with a thousand cuts, uh, which was outsourced to the ISI, uh, to operationalize and execute. We have been at the receiving end of those depredations for the last four decades. And unfortunately, going across administrations and dispensations, we have not been able to formulate either a cogent tactical response or a long-term strategic response to Pakistan. So therefore, we swing between the sublime and the ridiculous. Uh, whenever a terror attack takes place, uh, which results in the loss of innocent lives. You know, you have the drumbeat of jingoism actually overtaking a serious conversation as to what our response really should be. And after a few days, it's all forgotten till the next terror attack. So I think we as a state, we as a state have completely failed in order to evolve a cogent and a coherent attack as to how do we deal with a problem called Pakistan, which has a military and which has a deep state, uh, which is still uh, in, the, in, the, in the syndrome of the 1971 Bangladesh humiliation. So you are in other words saying that it is not enough to take a few measures here and there. We need to have a coherent, consistent policy and you need to evolve a vision as it were to deal with Kashmir and, and Pakistan for that matter. So, so, you know, you are a strategic thinker yourself. You know, you uh, think very deeply about these issues. Haven't we gone down the street earlier? Uh, 
it's the it's the it's it's the same street uh, so therefore we have a terror attack you know we have uh, high decibel levels of jingoism which i think is a substitute for the collective catharsis uh, which this country uh, undergoes every time such an attack takes place uh, then we have uh, the usual uh, rallying of or attempted rallying of international support sometimes we have a un security council resolution at other times we don't have a un security council resolution but ultimately does it deter the deep state in pakistan and the answer is no they carry on as business as usual and uh, in a, in a in a couple of weeks or months there is another attack which takes place so is it keeping this in mind that the congress party has now reportedly constituted a task force under the leadership of general huda um to sort of uh, look at it from a long term point of view look uh, the in in india's uh, approach to national security can do with some fresh thinking and so therefore uh, it is very very important that we we calibrate our uh, i won't say response but our plan of action that how do you so therefore the 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 paradigm is that you have a nuclearized south asia uh, you have a pakistan which believes that uh, under the nuclear shield they have the impunity to wage this uh, low cost proxy war using semi state actors it is not only india it is afghanistan which has been at the receiving end of their tender mercies they have tried to destabilize other places uh, in and around south asia they run circles around the united states of america taken billions of dollars sheltered uh, osama bin laden and mullah omar and you know various other people who were intrinsically linked to uh, international terror they are now running circles around the the the, the chinese and the chinese would learn it to their uh, own peril as the americans have that pakistan is a completely untrustworthy ally but with india you know given the 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 shared history and 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 a blood stained partition four wars uh you know accusations legitimate accusations by india of cross border terror some allegations by pakistan that we interfere in balochistan you know that's that's our history so therefore we have to find a modus vivendi of a dealing with uh with with terror emanating from pakistan number 2 recognizing that uh, we cannot change our neighbors and number 3 making a clear distinction that we do not consider the people of pakistan as our enemies the pa- people of pakistan are not our enemies the deep state in pakistan is the one which we have a problem with now coming back to this question about general hudda and the task force that the congress party has now set up could you comment a bit bit on that well uh, i guess uh, given the fact that uh, there does not seem to be or there hasn't been a coherent national security strategy over the past 5 years uh, there is a need uh, to really look at how india uh, should have a long term i wouldn't even call it a vision a long term strategy which let's say goes over the next uh, 10 years as to how do we deal with the emerging challenges 
both in the neighborhood and outside. For example, and we've discussed this earlier, India has never been so isolated in its neighborhood as it is today. Absolutely. So therefore, uh, there is something which has gone seriously wrong. And in addition to that, I think we have a serious problem in our relationship with some of the great powers also. The US relationship is stagnant. Russia. The Russian relationship, uh, unfortunately, is not what it used to be. You know, with China, you've had Doklam and uh, stuff like that. The European Union is literally off the map. The EU FTA has now been hanging fire for such a long time. And I think for this government, Latin America, South America and Africa don't even exist. Right. So, so you're saying that there needs to be some sort of planning that has to go into it. But let me, let me ask you a very, very straightforward question. Uh, now that we are in the thick of things uh, post-Pulwama, if the government decides to carry out a military strike against Pakistan, say surgical strike 2.0, would the Congress party support it? Or well, we supported the previous strike also. We, we, even when Uri happened, we stood by the government. Right? When they carried out the surgical strike, uh, there were demands by certain people that uh, a demonstrable and uh, verifiable evidence needs to be put in the public space, not because Indian political parties uh, want that. It is because sections of the international opinion, including some very responsible television channels like uh, CNN and uh, some others, uh, had questioned the veracity of our claims. So therefore, uh, under it was in that context that this demand was articulated by a large number of people that since our claims are being questioned, you know, we need to put something out in the public space. But then again, it was a classical case of shooting the messenger rather than hearing the message. So if you ask the hard question, then you are labeled as anti-national. And that does not help the cause of national security. And more importantly, the fact that the uh, BJP went on to use that for political, domestic political mileage, I think that sort of took away from the seriousness of the action in many ways. Well, uh, well, on, on, on these so-called surgical strikes, right, which is a terminology which is of recent vintage. But if you uh, go back to 1998, uh, uh, from 1998 onwards till 2019, uh, border action teams on both sides have been carrying out repeated incursions into each other's territories. And there has been uh, loss of life on both sides. Uh, the question that we need to ask ourselves is that are those strikes intended to change the behavior of the deep state in Pakistan or are those strikes intended for a consumption of domestic political opinion? And I am afraid that into 2016 when Uri happened or 2017 when Uri happened, we were still not in the high season of politics. Today when we are on the cusp of a general election, the... Uh, mm. The temptation to use a national security paradigm for political purposes will almost be difficult for the BJP or it would be almost impossible even if they are rational uh, to be able to, 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 to not use it and unfortunately they are not the most pragmatic and rational people going around. You know, in your early answer, you sort of laid the uh, blame for the Pulwama attack um, on Pakistan. Uh, is it not also true that um, um, there is a raging insurgency in Kashmir and that has to be 
understood as having caused um, what happened in, in Pulwama or the rise in violence in Jammu and Kashmir? Well, uh, see, so therefore, both these things are intrinsically linked. The fact is that the Jaisi Muhammad, within minutes of the terror strike, put out a video and took uh, responsibility for it. And if you look at the video, it seems to be very professionally shot. Uh, so, obviously, it was done uh, with some time and uh, deliberation and it wasn't uh, this terrorist uh, going uh, ahead to carry out a fedain attack, you know, who had made a video in haste. You know, it was deliberately uh, done in a carefully calibrated manner. Number two, uh, this is now an incontrovertible fact that Prime Minister Imran Khan, and the Jaish e Muhammad are in bed together. The Jaish e Muhammad helped to deliver the vote in southern Punjab, in and around Bhavalpur, uh, to uh, Prime Minister Imran Khan's Tehreek-e Insaf party and was responsible for making him Prime Minister. Number three, the BJP-PDP alliance has absolutely wrecked Jammu and Kashmir. There is no, 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 no denying that. You know, for a country, for a state, which came out to vote in percentages as high as 64% in 2015, for it to drop to 7% during Dr. Farooq Abdullah's parliament election. And the fact that we have not been able to hold the Anantanag parliamentary poll are evidences uh, which uh, is evidence of the fact that the NDA BJP government has totally messed up Kashmir. And so therefore, there has to be a constructive outreach to Kashmir. But at the same time, we have to be cognizant of the fact that no longer this is about the deep state alone in Pakistan. The Tanzeems like the Jaish-e-Mohammed have infiltrated mainstream political parties. If Imran Khan is so serious about peace, the Jaish-e-Mohammed has taken responsibility. The Jaish is based in Pakistan. Why doesn't he arrest Masood Azhar? Right. Right. So, you are saying that the action that the Pakistani government has taken at the moment is not good enough. They have gone against Hafiz no, Sayed, but not Masood this, this nonsense that, you know, please present us with the evidence. Well, jaish e is not headquartered in India. Jaish is headquartered in Pakistan. They are building a huge campus outside Bhavalpur. Molana Masood Azhar and everybody live there. They have taken responsibility that this is our guy, all right. He was a local Kashmiri boy, but he was a foot soldier or a commander of the Jaish e Muhammad, right. So, that is reason enough for uh, Imran Khan uh, to lock up uh, Molana Masood Azhar and proceed against them uh, under uh, in their military courts uh, for, for, for terrorism as. Uh, they have been proceeding against people who have been hitting the Pakistani state rather than demanding evidence. You know, so this is complete humbug that, you know, uh, please give me evidence that the Jaish was involved. When the Jaish says that we are involved, what more evidence is required? And yet it is true that uh, when things are better in Jammu and Kashmir, uh, violence in Jammu and Kashmir comes down, uh, the attacks clearly uh, go down. When, when your party was in government from 2004 to 2008, that is a, that is, that's an excellent example. See, <clears throat> in fact, if you rewind back, when Prime Minister or former Prime Minister Atal Bihari Vajpayee went to Srinagar in the April of 2003 and he said that Insaniyat, Jamuriyat, Kashmiriyat, and he held out uh, an olive branch to the Hurriyat 
and concurrently said that we will talk to Pakistan. And after that, there was a dialogue even with the Hezbollah Mujahideen. Uh, and that initiative was later, not the dialogue with the Hezbollah Mujahideen, but the political initiative was picked up by Dr. Manmohan Singh. 2003 to 2013, the ceasefire on the LOC held, except for an aberration after the, after the horrendous Mumbai attacks. But the fact is that you need to have an enlightened approach. The approach of this government towards uh, Jammu and Kashmir has not even been tactical. It's knee-jerk. Why is the political class in India not speaking out against the um, Kashmiri students being attacked in various parts of the country? In Dharadun, in Jammu, in Gurgaon, in Maharashtra? I agree with you that the condemnation ha should have been much stronger. If we say that uh, Jammu Kashmir is an integral part of India, then Kashmiris are also an integral part of India. Absolutely. You know, you cannot have Kashmir without the Kashmiris. And I think that's a fundamental mistake that the Indian state continues to make. We have to make, take a decision. Do we want to hold on to territory or do we want the people also? And unfortunately, our approach over the decades to Jammu and Kashmir, uh, or to Kashmir especially, has been that we... Uh, we are stuck in the uh, paradigm of wanting to hold on to territory and not really caring uh, as to how do we get to take the people along. What is the Congress Party's message to the Kashmiris who are agitating today, who are out on the streets and there are anti-India slogans being raised on a daily basis? What is your message to them? Look, you need to strengthen the mainstream political parties uh, in uh, Jammu and Kashmir. See, I do not for one believe that the Hurriyat or uh, these unelected representatives really represent the will of the people of Kashmir. If they would have represented the will of the people of Kashmir, they would have participated in the electoral process to legitimize their position, you know, while maintaining whatever political stance they have. But they are absolutely so scared of being marginalized. Uh, by, the, by the people that they do not want to test it. So, you, you need to have an enlightened approach whereby you strengthen mainstream political parties in Jammu and Kashmir, but you also have a dialogue with those people who are not in the mainstream. So, therefore, uh, the one thing which this government has not realized is that hard power has its limitations. Hard power can only be utilized to soften things up and then pave the way for soft power to take place. Hard power cannot replace soft power. And if you do not understand that basic equation, I am afraid you will end up in the situation where we are today in Jammu and Kashmir. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you like this podcast, please rate and follow us. For regular updates, you can also follow our Twitter handle NSC with HJ or our Facebook page, National Security Conversations with Happy Mon Jacob.